appreciate it, Brother Goff. I really do. It means more than you'll ever know. I appreciate you understanding and being flexible. And I want you to come, and I want you just to deliver what's on your heart tonight, whatever God's given to you. I believe we're going to hear from God. Anybody else feel that way? Praise God. Come. Take your liberty tonight. Thank you, Bishop. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you to home folks for being faithful on a Tuesday night. Storms raging out there, blowing against the church. But we're safe in here, and I appreciate it. Amen. You know, it's if God can take someone like me and allow me to grow in this church, this greenhouse of life, under the ministry of Bishop, so can you. Because God has taken me a long ways, and I am not even close to arriving. But God has helped me so, so much. And I believe it's because God has put me under a wise, wise man of God. Amen. And I see his fingerprints on each and every one of you. If you will let God and your pastor help you, you can go places. You can do things in the kingdom. Amen. If you're willing to be obedient, God will help you as he's helped me. Amen. I know for the sake of time, we have a midweek Bible study, and I want to jump into things, and I so appreciate it. I'm honored to be able to come break bread to you fine folks tonight. We're going to, if you'll give me a moment, why don't you have a seat and then we'll come back to our text. I want to give just a little bit of background and we'll just settle into this tonight. So much ground to cover, so much of it familiar, so it's probably going to feel fast, but I believe God's going to help us. We're going to be talking about the story of Esther and it's very familiar, common to probably 99, if not 100% of us here tonight, and I want to go through many different aspects of this story, but it's regarded in history as one that highlights the boldness that she showed in a dark moment for her people. And the book of Esther focuses on the story that nearly annihilated her people, and all of the Jews were basically just moments of way being slaughtered at the hand of a madman and a king that was a loose cannon. And the Jews were in captivity for 70 years. And you find the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of the remnant who went back to build. But we have this story of Esther that's tucked away in here that tells the story about some individuals that remained in captivity where they were at. And we have the story of Esther that is told. They stayed in captivity under a Persian king of Ahas, I'm sorry, Ahasuerus, that was not a kind king. And the reason that Esther's position was even available for her to even be brought in is because of the way he treated the first queen that he had, or the one that's mentioned, Vashti, meaning beautiful woman. She refused to parade herself at her husband's beck and call and parade herself in front of all of the men that were the leaders, and she rejected his invitation. She was hosting a banquet for the ladies, and her husband, being in a drunken state, and the men with him asked her to come and admire the beauty of her, and this was a great, great embarrassment to him that she said no. And the next thing you know, she's removed from her position, I'm cutting out a lot of details, but it's a story that you can easily read. But she was removed from her position of royalty because she said no. You can read that the theologians have stated that the Persian etiquette had, a, had laws in place, and etiquette, I should say, was in place to protect her. And the king was there to protect those things that had been placed there, the etiquette, to ensure that she, her beauty was also protected. 
But yet when a king that was drunk with wine requested his wife to grossly violate that etiquette and go and parade in front, he diminished himself as a husband and as a king among those that understood what he had just done. Instead of protecting her purity and her dignity, he requested an audience in front for the wrong reasons. He treated her like a show-and-tell instead of the beautiful woman that her name, Vashti, said she was. And she was just treated in a drunken state as common. You have to be careful in your life. Don't let those that are drunk with sin tell you what is normal. Their view is skewed. Just because they say this is the way it should be, they're drunk and their minds are consumed and intoxicated with sin. Don't let them strip away what God has so beautifully placed upon you with the power of forgiveness and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. No matter what they say, well, beckon and come and entertain us. Don't listen to their invitations. To further paint the picture of how this king really was. And I'm doing this so you understand the environment that Esther truly was serving in. You see that this king had a bridge built. And this is what's documented through in history. He had a bridge built. It had been completed. A storm waged upon it and raged upon it and destroyed the bridge. The king, full of pride, went out and had the sea flogged 300 times. What difference did it make? He then had them go and throw in fetters thrown into the sea, and it did absolutely nothing. His next step was to hang the man who built the bridge. And that brings us in context of understanding the king that Esther was now in service with. And in chapter 3, we read in Esther chapter 3, it leads up to our text, we see the interaction between Haman and Mordecai. You see, he was the cousin of Esther. And Mordecai was in the service of the king. And he was known to the king as Mordecai, the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate, referenced in chapter 6 and verse 10. But he would not have been allowed to sit there as a Jew had he not been under the service and doing the business of the king. We find Haman come into power. We find Haman get recognized. We find Haman seeing this exchange that's documented in Scripture. We see Haman come and walk through the gates after the king had said, listen, when he comes through, you must bow. We find that Mordecai refused to bow even to Haman. It was at this time that Mordecai was discovered by Haman to be a Jew. And it was the one that caused his hatred to even deepen against the Jewish people. And Satan used that tool of pride to manipulate Haman to be his instrument of pure, absolute pure wickedness. It was because Haman wouldn't bow. But God had a chosen people, and we'll discuss at length of how Satan went to get, as we get further into this lesson, we'll understand the lengths that Satan was willing to go to try to destroy a people. But we find that our text starts, you read about it where uh, Mordecai goes and sit, sits in the gate. He's covered in sackcloth and ashes. We find that the servants then take this news to Esther, and she's asking why. And this dialogue begins to unfold between Mordecai and the manservant that Esther had sent down to inquire and send down clothes and say, clothe yourself, put this on. But then Mordecai had a message. He sent the message back the first time, and Esther was like, I can't do it. 
And then she sends the man, and the man's servant comes back from Mordecai, and they begin to have this second conversation. And we read it in our text. If we could stand at this moment, we'll pick up our text. We'll find that Mordecai has the go-between of Hatak and the servant. And we read in Esther chapter 4. We'll read three verses of Scripture, and we'll read in verse 13 through 16. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. So she sends it back to her cousin and says, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither drink nor eat, and neither eat nor drink three days, three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the, unto the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Turning over to Romans chapter 8, looking at another portion of our text, Romans chapter 8, and many of you could quote it in verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are called according to His purpose. Amen, amen. I would like to teach to you in the remaining time we have tonight about standing in a position of influence. If we could lay our Bibles down, asking God to reach down and touch us and so gracious, grace us with his presence once again through his word. Let's lift our voices and talk to him. Heavenly Man, you may be seated. In Esther, we have the story of Satan's great attempt to destroy, as I said, a, an entire nation of Jews that not only remained in Persia, but were scattered abroad. And we find that the king was going out to try to destroy them. And Satan's master plan is to destroy God's plan of redemption. And he was trying to interrupt what God had ordained from the very beginning, setting in place, in motion, a plan to save the world. And what we find is, we find Satan trying to say, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going to do everything I can because one man didn't bow to me I'm going to do everything I can to destroy a nation, a people. We find that Satan was destined to try to do what he could and use one man called Haman. But God's answer was also found in one man called Mordecai and also in one woman called Esther. Looking back at Haman, it's interesting to find where his lineage comes from and the reference that you'll find in Scripture. You see, Haman was a descendant of King Agag, the king of Amalek, of Ishmael. You find that Mordecai and Esther were of the tribe of Benjamin. We find that Agag and the Amaleks, I'm sorry, were referenced in Scripture in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. It says, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You see, the Jews struggled to rebuild and 
have revival and Jerusalem to be a part of fulfilling God's plan. But you see, there was something set aside way back, way back of the Amaleks and the king of Amalek saying, listen, we're going to fight this. And something was put deep within their hearts that they were going to always war against God's people. We find that God's plan was to try and set everything up, and not just try, but set everything up. So when Satan's plan, which was far deeper and darker than what most people would imagine, it wasn't just about winning a war, but it was to eradicate a people and to totally wipe them off of the face of the earth. You see, he did not want the presence of God's people to be upon the face. They did not want them to utter his name in prayer, in confidence, in thankfulness, and gratitude, not even one more time, because they would not bow to his man. It was Satan's greatest, most complex plan to destroy God's great plan of redemption, because in doing so, he would stop Jerusalem being rebuilt. He would stop the temple being restored. He would stop everything from progressing. You wouldn't have the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. You wouldn't have the story of Messiah, nor would you have the story coming to fruition in the New Testament of the story of Jesus Christ being the Messiah who would come and save. We would also find that we would not even have the apostles on the day of Pentecost, nor would we have the precious gift that we have today because it would have been stopped thousands of years ago. But God saw fit to make sure, and Bishop, I believe you taught on this very topic and in line with this topic, I think on a Mother's Day several years ago of all the times that, that the devil tried to close up the wombs of mothers and tried to destroy the royal lineage, the, the, the lineage that was going to cascade down all the way down to Mary and the, the times that the wombs were shut up but the things began to move and shake and God stepped in and made a way so that Jesus Christ could be born here on earth. If we were to let the devil do what he wants to do in our life, there's no telling what he would be impacting the future of not just this church, but of your children, your families, and generations to come. You are a part of the plan that God has ordained from the very, very beginning. You're not just one little piece to the puzzle. You're a part of the big picture of the bride of Christ. You don't stand alone. You're not a box of one that has one piece in it. But God has brought us, each and every one of us here together, because we're all standing in a position of influence. Whether circles be large or small, you have people that you can influence. It is hard to imagine a more complete and more deadly plan. We'd find that Satan's best answer was the perfect storm, the perfect answer. It even makes Hitler's uh, atrocity that he was able to accomplish pale in comparison when he says, I will pay, through Haman, I will pay you to murder every Jew. It wasn't just swept under the rug and pulled out of the, the public's eye as has been documented through history through World War II. What we find is it was a decree that was sent out from his hand, from the throne of the king saying, I approve of this and I want you to support this on this day and this time. They will all be murdered. And you can hardly imagine how uh, the travesty and how this would be to understand as Jews walking every day knowing there's a price tag on your head. It wasn't something that they came and kicked doors in and the very next day you were dead, but they lived with this threat of the loss of their life of every one of them hanging over their head for day after day, knowing there's going to be a time and a place that this is going to take place. But see, God had a plan to preserve his people. The evil that Haman had allowed to enter his heart, God had a plan that was not a surprise that Haman would be used. God understands everything, 
that the devil's ever going to do. None of this is a surprise to God. But God had a plan to preserve his people. And he had one that he was going to allow a young lady to discover courage. She was going to be inspired to have courage. And a righteous man, a leader of the Jews already in place, so that when this woman was wavering on not knowing what to do, a man could step up and give the right words and inspire courage and say, listen, if you don't do something, it's going to be somewhere else. But I can't tell you that you and your house is going to be safe. But God's going to take care of his people. You see, Mordecai believed the promise of their God that it would always take care of his people. You see, as a leader of the Jews, he understands the promises that have been passed down and says that he's going to take care of them, and, and they live within their hearts. And he, it, it was something that, and we'll get to it here in a moment, but he took action upon it instead of just pondering it and trying to have this dialogue back and forth. But he gave inspiration to Esther that she would put her life in jeopardy. It's interesting, you see, because the life as a queen for Esther, that was her comfort zone. She was oblivious to things around her. She had no idea what was going on. She was completely aware, unaware of the crisis that was facing her uncle and all of the people that she was a part of. She was living under a death sentence and was completely unaware. You can read about it in Scripture. That's why she went down there asking him, put these clothes on. And then the words came back and began to understand what's going on. You see, she was only concerned about the image that Mordecai was presenting at the gate versus her full understanding about what was truly going to happen to her people. And her response was, I can't. The first time he tried to inspire her, I can't. You don't understand. There's laws in place. I can't approach the king unless he extends that golden scepter unto me, and then I can walk into his presence. If he doesn't do that, I'm dead. No doubt she understood the story of Vashti. The king was a man of his word. If he wasn't happy, he was going to make himself happy. But it was Mordecai that instructed Esther to rise to this great and momentous occasion in her life. It was in verse 13, it says, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. So she quickly perceived the danger and she knew immediately what to do. Her response was, you know what to do. Pray fast. I want you to get everybody together. You see, as a nation, there was things that was ingrained in God's people. How do you get the attention of our God? You submit yourself to him. We withdraw the things of our flesh. And we say, God, I am yours. And we surrender every thought, every, every pretense for the day, what you plan, no matter what it is. It's saying, God, I'm putting everything aside. My, my, my servants are going to fast. We're all going to fast. And, and Mordecai, I went out and got all the people together. And not one of them ate one ounce of food. You see... There was something that rose up within Esther. You see, it was deep within her spirit that Mordecai's words were able to shake her to her core, to where she would say, I will neither eat nor drink for three days and three nights. I am going to get the attention of God. I believe it was at that moment that those things that she had been around that had tried to infiltrate her life where she had become comfortable and just being the eye candy for the king, there was something else that rose up in her, and it was her true heritage. It was her Hebrew name, which is found in Esther chapter 2 and verse 7. Hadassah rose up within her, and she hearkened back to her roots, and she says, listen, 
I know how to get a hold of God. It wasn't to rent herself, and it wasn't to take her life. It wasn't to try to sacrifice things unto pagan gods that have no doubt had been a part of that kingdom. But it was, I must fast. I'm not going to drink nor eat. But it was something deep within Esther. It was that moment when Hadassah stood up and desired to protect her people. She understood that she was the only one that could risk her life to walk in and talk to the king and say, O king, can I have an audience with you? Nobody else, no, no, no one else, even her, her cousin couldn't walk in and be afforded that opportunity. But she was willing to sacrifice everything and willing to go back to something that she knew was absolutely true. I must risk everything for my people. And she had been taught all her life that desperation and fasting and prayer and humility moves God and brings deliverance. It was at this moment of her commitment that deliverance began to move and shake. It talks about this Jewish tradition. The Midrash documents this passage, and it says that the distress of the Jews was so great that it caused God's throne to be shaken. And God was so moved by his people's prayer and by their distress when an entire nation decided to put their face towards God. And it was on the third day of Esther's fast that she stood in the inner court of the king's courtroom and she risked her life after fasting three days. You could read about it in chapter 5 and she begins to make the request unto the king and to Haman saying, I want you to come to a banquet tomorrow. And she says, I want you to come and let me prepare a banquet for you. And, and so plans are beginning to take place. And we find that that night the king goes to sleep or tries to go to sleep and he can't sleep. And he says, bring me the historical documents of my kingdom. I, I want to read and hear about what has happened and transpired in my kingdom. And lo and behold, he runs across the story of Mordecai, a man who risked his life. And he begins to wonder, has anything ever happened to this man that risked his life? And we find the morning of the fourth day after Esther's fast, we find Haman went to the court into the king's palace. And began to request commission, or permission from the king to hang Mordecai on a, on a gallows that was 75 feet tall. And you see, when the devil does something, he wants everybody to know he's doing something. He doesn't just do something small. He wasn't going to let Mordecai, when everybody else was bowing at the gate, he was going to lift Mordecai up whether he wanted to be or not. You see, the devil will go to great lengths to destroy you. He'll use people around you to give words that in the past have been loving and kind, but when you try to put your heart toward God, he'll use people around you that will hurt you in ways you never thought could be hurt. They'll say things about you that you never thought that they would ever say. They'll They'll make threats against you that you never thought. Why would someone even say those words? Why do they hate me in such a way? But just give the devil a chance, and he'll use every tool in his toolbox to destroy you. We find the king with Haman, and he explains the situation. He says, what shall be done unto a man whom the king delighteth to honor and pride? Pride spoke up. Oh, we're going to honor somebody. He has to be talking about me. Oh, he, he must be talking about me. And pride began to have this dialogue and began to just roll over in the mind of Haman. And oh, Haman's like, oh, you know what I would do? I would take all the garments and I would put the kingly garments upon him and and I would gather all the entourage together and I would parade him through your kingdom and I would 
have everybody acknowledge how great this man is. And the king says, okay, go get Mordecai, the Jew, that sits in the gate. A total change of the dialogue. You see, here's the thing about Haman. You know what his influences were? It was his wife and magicians. They were the ones. It wasn't just Mordecai figuring this all out in his mind. He had a host of influence around him. We must be very careful who we allow in that circle that can go in and influence our mind and our heart. You have to be very, very careful. You see, Haman's demise was one that was prompted and says, listen, this is what you've got to do. You've got to hang that man. That the people around him were going and consulting with him and saying, you've got to hang Mordecai. You've got to take care. He's a threat to you. And next thing you know, God steps in and says, okay, we're going to turn the tables in this moment. We find that now it's time for Esther's banquet. It's the fourth day. We find that Esther comes in. She didn't have a lot of courage on that first meal. The second one, she's going to make it work. You find that it's really interesting because Haman was going and talking to his friends and says, listen, listen, wife. It even names her. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Names his wife. Says, hey, y'all. I had a dinner with just the king and the queen. He had no idea why Esther would throw such a luxurious, abundant food being laid out in front of them, a banquet for just the three of them. And he goes and talks about it to his family. That's what pride will do. It'll make you blind. You're like, this isn't normal. This shouldn't happen. Who am I? But when you think so much of yourself, you say, I deserve this. I deserve to be in the audience with the king and queen. They did this for me. Look at me, wife. Look at me, friends around me. And that's what pride will do. Look at me. All the while, I've been invited back to a second banquet. And all of a sudden, Esther's courage peaks. And she says, O king i got to tell you something. There's someone who's going to try to destroy my people. You see, I'm a Jew. Well, who would do this? Well, it's Haman sitting right here at the very table with you. It says that the king went out into the courtyard, went out there to contemplate and seize the gallows, comes back in, and Haman has thrown himself on Esther and the king walks in and catches this and says, cover his face. It was a death sentence. He was done. You see, pride will think you can get way away with so many things. And you can influence things. And you can work things behind the scenes. And you can manipulate people. And you can try to get your situation to change. Pride will have you do things that are your demise. But Esther was in a position of influence. And she let courage and strength, and she let her God reach down into her life. And we find the story, as we mo most of us all know, Haman was hung by the very gallows that he built, 75 feet in the air. You see, pride was truly lifted up. And Haman was the man who died in the gallows that day. You see, it was only because Esther was willing to step out and put herself at risk and use a position of influence to stand in front of the king and say, if I die, so be it. It is what it is, but I'm willing to give my everything. So just as Joseph was promoted, just as Daniel was promoted, so Mordecai was promoted as well. It was afterwards that Haman went and got the ten sons of, um, uh, I'm sorry, Mordecai went and got the ten sons of Haman and hung them all in the very same gallows that their daddy built. His actions destroyed his family's lineage because 
of pride. But Esther had something else to pass on down to generation to generation. There was some courage. We find that once the tables had turned, that we find that Mordecai, put in a position of prime minister, went in there and changed things. They went in and started killing people, people that were coming against them. I believe there was 500 men that were went and were slaughtered because of the actions of Haman. Not only did he and his sons die, but there was a host of families that lost their daddies because of Haman's pride. But we like to dwell on the other side of the story because Esther is an inspiration to all of us, male or female alike. We all get put in positions to where we have the opportunity to stand and have that, that just that something that rises up within us. And we say, you know what? I'm going to lay it all on the line. I'm going to give everything to God. You see, in John chapter 10, in verse 10, it says, a part of this says, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, as God positioned a plan for Joseph, he did the same for Esther in the king's palace. And Mordecai found a place in the gate of the kingdom daily. You see, God has done the same for you and for me to be placed in the church this present kingdom of God here on earth for such a time as this. This present crisis that our world is in is dependent upon you. We can't wait for the ministry to rise to the occasion. We can't wait for Bishop to have the strength to bring us back on next Sunday morning and preach us into the glory, and then we do it then. There has to be something that rises up within us to say, God, I'm going to give you everything. Because if you don't believe we're in a crisis, I'm afraid you're like Esther in this very moment in time. I'm here to tell you there is a, there's, a, there's a price upon your head today. Why do you think the devil hates you so much? Why do you think he fights you so much? There's a price tag on every one of our heads today. In this very moment, he would like nothing more than to destroy you before you could even get home tonight. We're in the very same moment. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. This is not the kingdom that God has called us to abide in. I want nothing to do with the ways of this world. Every time you have the opportunity to look at a news article and you see all the filth and the trash and it just seems like it's an avalanche of things and all it is is the price tag on our head is climbing higher and higher and higher and the world's trying to wear on you even more and more and he tries to tell us, listen, that price of giving your all is not worth it. Why don't you take this? Why don't you settle to just be Pentecostal eye candy and walk the streets? Why don't you just accept the fact that you're different and, and your, 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 your future and your purpose in life is really just to get the question of why you dress different, ladies? No, that's not your calling. Don't settle for just being holy. Be effective with your holiness. Allow it to change the lives around us. Yes, it's a great compliment, but it's not your only purpose in life. We are all commissioned to stand out and be different from this world and not blend in, but God has called you for such a time as this. Don't settle to be eye candy in a world that just wants to parade you and say, look at how different they are. Use your position of influence to change the world around you. Because all moments are not created equal. Now is our time. Deliverance comes only after facing the dangers of the moment that you live in. Being in the church comes with responsibility. And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this. God has brought you through 
where you're at today to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And if you don't have it tonight, God has brought you. This is a part of your journey for such a time as this. God is desiring you to be sons and daughters in his kingdom. Not to be on the arms of the world saying, look at how beautiful she is. Because I tell you, the world just wants to tarnish your image. It's only beautiful for just a moment. And then they tire of you and they throw you to the wayside and say, bring me the next beautiful one. Vashti has rejected me. Bring me the next beautiful one. And the world just churns out the beauty of the saints of God one after another if you'll let it. But God has called us to use a position of influence to step up and say, I refuse to be like the world. Now, you have to commend Vashti for saying no. But she had to make place for Esther. She had to go through some things. She went through her trial in life. and She handled it and said, no, I'm not going to do that. But you see, God had a plan. Esther had to go to the palace. She's the one had to go in and prepare herself not just to be accepted by a worldly king, but she went there under duress. She didn't willingly say, I'm beautiful, look at me, choose me. But she was brought into the service of the virgins, unto the service unto the king. And she was brought in because she was beautiful. She didn't self-promote. She was brought there and she made the best of what she could. And you know what turned that situation that could have been far worse than what it was? She listened to the voice of wisdom in her life. Mordecai says, do this, do this, don't tell him you're a Jew, I want you to conduct yourself this way. And what did Esther do? She did exactly what he said. And God kept his hand on her. But it's upon us to embrace the destiny that God has for your purpose for living. God reached down into Esther and made sure that she was ready for her finest hour. Her knowledge was limited. She had been sheltered from everything that was going on. Her spiritual condition, it took fasting to get her to the point to where she could make a difference in the situation. She was not really prepared for her mission or else she would have said, all right, I'll do this on the first conversation with Mordecai. But it took another return conversation and she was still living and hiding behind who she really was as she was sending out the manservant. And she was involved in this beautiful, abundant life as a queen in the comfort zone. And she had to utter these words, so will I go into the king. And if I perish, I perish. Greatness is never achieved without courage. A faith in her God to protect her and the chosen people. You see, it was her that was willing to step up and say, I'll risk it all. It was her willingness to stand up and have courage to where Esther and Mordecai had the power flipped to where it went from Haman unto her. And Mordecai was given the, the liberty, the free reins to walk in and begin to write things. Begin to document and begin to preserve their history. It was because someone was willing to put themselves out there. Now, they couldn't change the laws of the Persian king. But they could defend themselves, and they could defeat the enemy. You see, the change in Esther was drastic. She changed from a passive, obedient, silent person to someone that was courageous and bold. That's what walking in the will of God will do for you. You have confidence in Him. And instead of her saying, I can't, guess what she was doing? She was working with her cousin Mordecai and helping make decisions. God has brought you to this place for such a time as this. A major truth in Esther is this. We may not be able to change prophecy, and that is not what we're here to do. And events that must come to pass in our day, 
And as we read about headlines and things happening, there's a part of me that says, man, I wish the world would change. But there's also the part of me, Brother Nelson, that says, this has got to happen. This has to take place. That has to take place. This has to transpire. And I begin to say, it's getting closer and closer and closer. Saying, God, you got to take us through this valley because you're going to ask us to be courageous for some things. There's some things that have to transpire and take place. For the greatest revival this world has ever known, we have to stand up for such a time as, lit, as this. It's never too late to do the work of the kingdom. It is never too late for us to rise to the occasion and to be used by God and make a marvelous, miraculous difference in the world around us. Never in her wildest dreams did Esther Hadassah ever think after she lost both her parents, had to go live with her uncle's son and say, what is the purpose of my life? What am I here to do? Next thing you know, there's this decree from a king. I need a beautiful woman to be a king, to be a queen. Next to me is king. And she's wondering, what am I? I have no purpose. I feel like I have nothing to add, nothing to contribute. I feel like I'm being stripped away from my people. And they can't even know that they're my people. And feeling like all hope was lost. You see, the before and after picture of Esther is vastly different. And all it took was four days. A three-day fast, and on the fourth day, walking in and saying, King, I've got to talk to you about something. This isn't just a meal. I've got to tell you what's going on. God wants to do the very same thing in your life. You see, notice one thing about Mordecai. He responded immediately. There was no neglect or procrastination. When he perceived and understand and had a revelation of what was going to happen and understood the gravity, he acted quickly. Even when there was an advance notice of their impending death, he says change has to happen right now. We can't let this sit here and do absolutely nothing. There's wisdom in preparing and stood awaiting for that tragic day to arrive. When we face life head on, the easy approach is to withdraw and go into preservation mode. We become the smaller target. Don't, don't draw any attention to yourself. Maybe they won't see me. Here's the problem. The world needs to see you. That's the only way they'll see Jesus is through you. You have to be visible. You have to be recognizable to this world. They have to know who to go talk to. They have to know who knows truth. They have to know who knows how to pray and fast, who knows how to stand up in a position of influence and say, yes, I'll pray. God has always reached out to his children and had the very best for us. So in that statement alone, it's never a gamble to trust God. It's a sure fire promise that God will reach in and take care of you. You can never lose trusting in God. As we have just a few moments left, I'll bring this to a close. There's uh, several individuals in Scripture that I want to reference real quick. The three Hebrew boys, many times we're calling them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like Mordecai, they refused to bow when King Nebuchadnezzar built a massive god to them. Play the instruments, and they refused to bow. They're called by their Babylonian names, but they served in their Hebrew faith. That's why we know their names today. It's because of a faith in a God that had never failed them. It was this unified step in faith that had a profound impact on a king 
and a nation. It was because they were willing to lay it all out and say, for such a time as this, O king, we're not going to bow this time. We're not the ones. Everybody else may bow, but you can count on us. We are not going to bow to your image. God, the God they served made sure that we would know and be able to read their names in Scripture. The Hebrew names of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were preserved in faith. That's why we can read them today. It was because of their faith. You see, there's another individual by the name of Joseph, a powerful story of overcoming all odds. You see, his name in Egypt was changed. It was changed to Zaphanathpa-Nia. Anybody know what that means? It doesn't matter. Because the theologians can't come to a consensus on what it means. But here's what Joseph means. He will add. You see, he was named by the Egyptians on what he was to them. But God had a plan for Joseph on what he meant to him. God had a plan for Joseph, and he elevated him. He promoted him, and he put him in a place of influence to where he was known by his Egyptian name. But there was a day when there were some, some Hebrew boys, his brothers, that stood before him, and he was able to say, it's me, Joseph. The promise has come back. Esther, your name is restored. There's something that's going to rise back up in you again. Joseph... You're no longer that Egyptian name. You're going to be the one who's going to truly add to the people. And guess what happened? The people of Israel went down there in Goshen, and they grew, and they expanded, and it was such an expansive nation that they were feared by their captors because Joseph used a position of influence to make a difference. He could have said, off with their heads, and never told them who he truly was. But he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. He will add. You see, there's another man that I'll close with this. A man by the name of Saul, a learned man, rose to power. We talk about the persecution of the Jews. It's interesting, you know, the Jews, they would use, have a, have a name that they would use within the Jewish name, the Hebrew name, but they'd also have a Greek name for doing business. And so we find him called Saul and find him called Paul as well. But it's interesting that when God spoke to him from heaven, he called him by his Hebrew name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, don't limit your current capabilities based upon the value of just trying to blend in and do business with the Greek. I know they use those names interchangeably. You'll find it in Scripture. But Jesus brought you with that innocent blood. And what I'm telling you today is when God called him, he used that name to do the business of the kingdom and says, listen, I'm calling you back. This is what it is. It's not about persecuting the Jews. I want you to step up and I want you to serve me. There was some blood that was shed just for you. There's a price upon each and every one of our heads. But God paid that price through the sacrifice of the man, Jesus Christ, walking here on earth, robed himself in flesh and inflicted pain. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You see, that blood is the only thing that can wash away the sins of each and every one of our lives. You are priceless in the eyes of God because God sees you that way. And we should see each other in that very same way. We can't let personalities, we can't let perspectives of each other interfere with the value that God truly sees in your life. There's a passage of Scripture, if I could just drive it home from a ministerial perspective, 
The Apostle Paul was giving instructions unto the elders ministering at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul gives us instructions, says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, the world put a price upon your head. But God says, listen, I can take away every ounce of debt you have to sin, and I can wash it away. He's talking about the church, the ones that's been benefactors. But I'm here to tell you today, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you have never, ever felt what it feels like to be baptized in Jesus' name and to have your sins not just washed from your conscience, but washed away from your life forever, you're missing out. This time was created for a time such as this. God has brought you to a moment in time so that he could pay the price for your life if you will just let him. We've been preserved by his plan. The opening statement of Jude summarizes, summarizes us all. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We all have a purpose. We all have something to do in the kingdom. He didn't bring you back into the house of God once again tonight to go back out and do something that you think is interesting. But he's called us all to rise to the occasion and say, God, you put me where I'm at. Let your influence change the world around me and let it also change me. Just as it did with Esther in a few days of fasting, in a few days of laying everything on the line, it took her from being comfortable in the king's house to being the truly the queen of that kingdom and saying, listen, Mordecai, we got some people we got to protect. Listen, Truth Church, there's some people we have to get in this house and get full of the Holy Ghost. Listen, Truth Church, there's some people that need a Bible study. There's people that need the Holy Ghost even in this house tonight. You have been called for a time such as this. Don't ignore the opportunity that God has placed in your life right now in this very moment because he has called you by name. We are sons and daughters in his kingdom. If we could stand, I have one more verse of Scripture. And it's a challenge to us all. And we are to walk worthy of his strength, of his plan, of the grace that God can give us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. The challenge is upon us. If you don't have the strength, God can give the strength today. If God has placed you in the church, filled you with the Holy Ghost, washed those sins away, let me tell you tonight, God's got a plan for you, and it wasn't just to save you. It was so you could go out and help others be saved. Live in the moment of promise and not in the mind of regret. Stop thinking, oh, I wish I could roll back time. Live in the moment that God has placed in your life right now. You can't get any younger. We just lost time in just this very service tonight that you can never get back. But you can make the time that you spent here tonight valuable. You can make it exponentially more valuable every time you invite somebody, every time you give a Bible study, every time you commit more of yourself to God, you're making that price be even more and more. Because when God paid a price, he paid the full price. It wasn't a bargain. It wasn't a sale. It wasn't on the thrift rack. It wasn't the one that says 50% off. He paid full price for each and every one of us. 
so that we could know him, so that we could become like him, and that he could put us in a position of influence in the world around us and say, I'm calling your name tonight. Don't make him come back and say, oh, I can't do that, God. Send the servant down and we'll talk about this. And there's laws. This world will make fun of me if I change. So be it. It's worth the price that we pay. Can we lift our, eyes, our hands and talk to him, lift our voices unto him? How many will accept the challenge that God has placed in front of each and every one of us to live according to his purpose? The challenge lies before us and our families. Let's talk to him, God. You're reaching for souls, hearts, futures, the present tonight in this service. God, the challenge is real. It's alive. You're wanting each and every one of us to stand and be called according to your purpose. Hallelujah. Can we talk to him just a moment more? It's not music that will set this in your heart. It's prayer. It's a dedication. Can we just talk to him just a moment more? Don't let his first visit pass you by so quickly. But respond and let him say, all right, I hear your prayers. Let him change our hearts tonight. Hallelujah. Let's talk to him. God, I want you to change me. Mold me and make me, God. I want to be as you would have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Savior. I love you, Savior. I love you, Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.